What up? Welcome in. You are listening to another edition of the Sports Cafe. I am tonight's host, Adam Rosen. We've got a full cast of characters in the house tonight. We've got Mike Weil from Chicago. His uh, White Sox have just made the biggest uh, pickup of the summer in uh, Eloy uh, Jimenez coming back to the team. I remember we did a show uh, you know, back in in april or whatever it was march and uh you thought he was done for the year here we are he's back yeah i am ecstatic about it and he's come down from heaven to rejoin his team and uh i think that it's gonna bode well and and when we get robert and grandal back it's gonna be even better so so watch out and i i think that i saw vegas had the white Sox is the favorite to win the american league tied with the astros and the good news for me is no one likes the Astros now, so they'll have hopefully a, a good contingent behind them in the playoffs. But I'm I'm just very excited for for September and hopefully October baseball. And uh, Ian, the Yankees have had gut punch after gut punch. I think now you have a little bit of a taste of what it's like to be a Mets fan. But how are you holding it up? You know, it's like every time they make it worse, I I say I'm not going to, you know, waste my time with this team. And they won 7 out of 10 and this weekend. Two more gut-punching losses, as you said. You couldn't draw it up any crazier if you tried to, you know, hurt the fan base with the no-hitter going to the eighth inning, 4 nothing, losing 5-4 yesterday. But no changes, no firings. Hal Steinbrenner is, uh, you know, enjoying, I guess, Yankee baseball this year. They did make a big trade today, didn't they? Acquire like a reliever from the Pirates. Yeah, with like a five ERA. So there you uh, go. I guess they're you know doing everything they can to win. The first domino has fallen oh. on the trade market. Um, and Mike, uh, Phillies uh, hovering around 500, but just four games back in the division. Uh, how are you feeling going into the trade deadline? Uh, I, I I doubt they'll really go for it. To be honest with you, that they haven't made a bold move at the trade deadline and God knows how long. Um, I, I I see them being satisfied with another 500 seasons. I think that was the expectation all along. Um, and I, I dare them to prove me wrong. Ouch. <laughs> Strong <laughs> words from a fighting Phils fan. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll get into more baseball a little bit later on the show. Wanted to talk, want to start with NBA talk. So since our last show we have an nba final champion the milwaukee bucks who i think when we last spoke they were down two nothing in the series and we were just wondering whether or not they could come back in this series and sure enough they rattled off four in a row the bucks win in six uh Giannis with an mvp and a absolutely dominating performance uh puts up a 50 piece in game six goes out orders uh 50 nuggets at chick-fil-a afterwards um he's, he's a uh officially cemented his legendary status in the NBA. Um, Ian, what were your uh, takeaways from the finals? And, um, you know, are you surprised that the Bucks came back the way that they did? Very much so, yeah. I think we last talked when they were down 2 nothing, and all four of us predicted the Suns would yep. close it out and <laughs> win another game. So uh, hopefully our listeners are not uh, taking our advice if they're mechanic bets. But, um, you know, Giannis became a superstar and i think he was kind of on the verge and 
this finals performance, especially that clinching game six, was an all-timer. I mean, it was up there with like a Jordan-LeBron game. No one could stop him. Um, you know, Aiden, who started the series well, really kind of faded. I don't know, you know what the reason was or it was just, uh, you know, Giannis is so much better than everyone else on the court. And, um, you know, we can talk about if, if the Nets, if healthy, would have beat them. Probably would have, but the... I think the Giannis in the finals was at another level beyond what we saw in the net series and uh, really the rest of the playoffs. So at this point, you know, everyone's rooting for him. I think we were all happy to see him win. I know some of us Chris Paul fans maybe would have liked to see him win a title, but um, Giannis and the Bucks, f- first time champions in 50 years. I was, uh, I guess, pleasantly surprised that they came back and won. And um, yeah, I just think it's a, a performance that, we're probably not going to forget. I mean, we're just going to remember this is the year of, of Giannis and, and him becoming, you know, potentially a legendary all-time player. He has taken over the mantle as Shaq said of Superman. He is, I, I think he's my favorite player in the league. And I, I wanted to give a shout out first to my brother, Jeff, who for about 10 years when he got sick of Gar Foreman and John Paxson was like, you know what? I love this Giannis kid that got drafted by the Bucks. He said this. He said he's awesome. And he became a follower of the Bucks. He basically the Bucks were team one A to the Bulls one, but really it was he, he was on the train. And in, in Giannis's rookie season? In in Giannis early on in Giannis's career. Okay. It was either his it was either his first year or his second year. I remember I went to a game with him when they were playing the Bulls. He was rooting for the Bucks. I was rooting for the Bulls. I was very upset with him. And Ersan Ilyasova was the star of that team. They had a cheering section full of college students called Sector 7. And it was it was dark times for the Bucks. But Middleton and Antetokounmpo were either first or second year players on that team. They're the worst team in the league. And now it just, to me, it's so refreshing to see a guy who stayed with the team that drafted him and didn't form a super team, really. Just... Like old school, put the team on his back, and and Middleton grew into that role player that was, or not even a role player, second star, and you had guys like uh, Holiday and Lopez and Connaughton, and you know the the whole team really really stepped up. And as we said on the show two weeks ago, um, because we all kind of took Suns and six or whatever it was. <laughs> It was clearly going to be Bucks and Six the whole time. So shout out to my brother Jeff. Very happy for you. The Bucks. Giannis is a legend. Giannis is a forever will not have to buy a drink in Milwaukee now. And there's a lot of good beer up there, so good for him. And he he cemented himself as a, a top three player in the league for the next probably like five years at least. I would say. Yeah, and I have to say, I have to uh, hold myself accountable. I think there was a in one of the earlier rounds, I had made a comment that Giannis was exposed a little bit, which he was at the time. I mean, he was you know he was missing free throws and he was uh, completely deferring to Middleton uh, late in games, which was fine. I mean, it worked for them, but uh, you have to give him all the credit in the world. In Game Six, he shoots 17 of 19 from the free throw line. Obviously, he scores 50 points. Um, so, look, he may not be the, the, the three-point shooter that a Steph Curry or a Dame Lillard is, but, uh, I mean, the guy was just a beast. He was unstoppable. Um, and it was, as mentioned before, just a, a legendary performance. That coupled with the fact that he re-signed in Milwaukee and, and um, 
you know, I loved his pre- his press comments afterwards where he said, look, I could have gone to a super team and, and it would have been easy. I would have played my part, but I wanted to, to do it the hard way. And like, if this is the only championship I get, like I'm, I'm good with that. So that was just awesome to see. I was really happy for him. Uh, Mike, uh, haven't, haven't heard from you just looking at from Phoenix's perspective. I mean, what do you think happened there? Did they run out of gas there or was just Giannis stepping up and, and rising to the occasion just too much for them to handle? Giannis stepped up when his team needed him most. Uh, it, it is incredibly rare for any team to be able to win a championship without multiple superstars. And you'll remember at the beginning of the season, I predicted the exact opposite. I said he'd be the regular season MVP and that he would do what the Bucks have done in the past couple of seasons and choke in the playoffs to, to a team that finishes worse than them. Um, instead, he, he becomes the NBA Finals MVP. And... Even if the regular season MVP is considered more prolific, I think you ask any player out there, they would prefer to be the NBA Finals MVP to the regular season MVP because he had to take home the crown for Milwaukee. Um, I, I want to say it's been, what, 40-something years since they last won. It's been a long time, definitely before any of us were alive. And, you know, Phoenix, they were not an easy match. Um, I'd say Giannis individually is more talented than any of the Suns players. But collectively, I, I think it's hard to um, d- disagree that the um, that the Suns have more talent and that it's more balanced, especially throughout their starting lineup. So yeah, I, I don't know that there was really any weaknesses in the Suns' game. I, I do think that they, like the Bucks, were, were shell-shocked to be playing in the NBA Finals. Um, neither team was used to it. And... Um, it, it first, they were the stronger team. They they win both their home games solidly, but then the Bucks um, they came out of their shell. They uh, they stepped up. Uh, Giannis in particular led the team, but um, any uh, you know, lack of experience in the finals that were off by game three, um, and they kept that momentum going. So I I, I want to say, and I think we even said this in our in our text that it's probably been since. MJ led the Bulls that you've really had one superstar carry a team on his back uh, to the championship. Um, you could somewhat argue that with LeBron and, and the Cavs, but even then I think he at least had Kyrie with him, whereas you know, Giannis was the clear faraway leader here. And Don't, uh, don't forget Kevin Love, too, who was right. uh, he was an all-star then. And But, but I Definitely. think you got to give Chris Middleton a lot of credit. I mean, he, he is an all-star. I and, do. I mean, Giannis doesn't win it without him, for sure. Yeah, well, Middleton um, was essential. He was holiday the both. They, they they are all stars. Um, but at the end of the day, they still but they're, but they're also, I think, a, they're a peg below what we've seen in recent years with second and third options. I mean, they're not at that obviously like a Scottie Pippen level. I don't think they're surprisingly they're they're the second third best players on a championship team now, and that just speaks to Giannis's greatness. Yeah. yeah, but but Middleton is a, is a multi-time All Star. I mean, so I, you, you certainly don't want to underrate him. But um, but yeah, I mean, Giannis clearly put the team on his back in the finals, particularly those last four games um, there in the finals. So I you know I hate to do the whole comparison thing and ranking. I think that you have to appreciate guys for for their individuality and their own greatness. But I guess I'll ask the question: um, Is has Giannis now surpassed? LeBron as the best player in the NBA. What do you think, Ian? You know, we're always 
speaking in the moment and we don't want to overreact, but I think he has to go into the next season as the best player. I mean, we've seen LeBron slow down a bit, and I know we had this conversation earlier this spring about LeBron, his injuries. Was it kind of a cover for the playoffs and he'd be fine? Was he trying to slowly, you know, he made the comment that he'd never be himself. Maybe he was telling the truth. He'd never be, you know, the what he was a few years ago. And, um, you know, while still a great player when he's healthy, we have to, I think at this point in his career at age, what, 36, 37, um, start thinking about passing the torch. And maybe this was the occasion where Giannis has that, you know, is kind of the, the new greatest player in the league. I think the one thing to consider for Giannis is um, this is the farthest, obviously, he's played in into now the summer in late July and then going back to the regular schedule starting I believe at the end of October that's going to be a very quick turnaround for him and we saw a lot of players last year with the bubble have some uh, trouble with that but you know this the season started later so this year they're going to really try to compact this off season which for a player like Giannis who has uh, you know who's playing pretty much every minute of every game in the playoffs we'll see if that has any effect um, you know but yeah. I, I think at this point with his performance this this playoffs and carrying that team um i i think you'd have to say he's the favorite i think the other question is should the bucks be you know considered the favorite i know we're going to discuss that because yep. that's kind of to me a little bit more of an interesting discussion yeah it's uh, and, and uh, one thing that we haven't really mentioned by Giannis was the fact that he miraculously came back from this knee injury which at the time it looked like a torn acl and i, I don't know if there's some you know lingering damage there or maybe he needs something cleaned up but um you know we'll see if that you know that is something that maybe impacts him next year or if he's just completely um good to go i guess he is a great freak freak of nature yeah yeah but will he start um, sitting out games and resting on back-to-backs, things like that i don't think so he, do- he doesn't strike me as that i mean if there's an injury yes but um he doesn't strike me as a load management kind of guy. I think he's too young for that. I mean, he's only 26, right? Yeah. But he's a he's a champ now. He can do whatever he wants. He's uh, yeah. He can he can get 50 Chick Fil A nuggets at any time. Shocking the waitress didn't how, recognize. How great him. was that video, by that the way? Amazing. It's like not 51, not 49, 50. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say I did. I had to try Giannis's drink. His. Uh, Half lemonade, half spread. I did try it at the Mets game the other day. I got iced, which may have made a difference, but uh, I had had to give it a whirl. That's hysterical. Way too much it's like lemon the new for Arnold me. Palmer. It's, it's, new Ar- it's, it's half and half, but with Sprite instead of iced tea. Brilliant. Um, so Ian kind of alluded to it earlier, but you know, I think there was a lot of concerns about the the Milwaukee Phoenix matchup to you know lesser cities, if you will. Uh, I think the ratings turned out pretty well. Um, obviously, a huge jump over last year, although you kind of throw 2020 out the window. But looking ahead to next year, I think you could argue that the, the, the league is more wide open than it's ever been. I think you've got a lot of teams in the mix. And normally, people would say, okay, don't bet against LeBron. But I think seeing the way that, that things imploded there and him getting up there in age and some uncertainty around the roster, I think it's wide open next year. Yeah, it, it looks like there's sort of this, I don't want to say change at the top, but like uncertainty because a, a few years ago it looked like the Warriors were going to go on this extended crazy long run and then the injuries happened to them. And then you had the Raptors winning, which, you know, that was a different team. And then you had the Lakers last year in the bubble 
but you know LeBron's getting older so there's this passing of the torch and and one would think maybe Brooklyn if they could ever get it together because they have you know Durant Kyrie and Harden and and, and the talent there is amazing but if they can't I think that this does wonders for the Bucks. I mean, the the question is, is I don't know their roster construction for next year, but maybe this will make them a more attractive destination because Milwaukee, Milwaukee is a great city. I I've been there a bunch being in Chicago. It's a fun place to be. The winters are cold, but um, you could do worse. And I I don't know if it makes it an attractive, you know, place to live, but no, but for maybe play, some veterans who are trying to win a championship, you play with you, Middleton, you know. Giannis. Paul, they've established that they can win. Yeah, yeah. I, to me, I, I still think those types of players, veterans who are trying to, you know, get one last shot of a ring, still end up going to the Lakers or to Brooklyn. But yeah, I mean, maybe you're right. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what their salary cap situation is, but as far as favorites for next year, I mean. Mike, do you, do you see? Um, do, do you have to put Milwaukee up front? Is it Brooklyn? Is it the Lakers? I think it's as you said. It's wide open. I mean, right now, for one, free agency market hasn't started yet at all. Um, I don't think anybody with you know, if you combine the current rosters with the people you know who are going to be free agents, I don't think you can say that there's really a clear favorite out there. I mean, heck, I know the Sixers aren't going to go down quietly either, and uh, you know the Lakers are going to, you know, even with. LeBron aging, they're going to make another run for it. Um, the Clippers are still going to want to be hot. Um, you don't want to forget the Jazz. And in the East, hey, man, maybe the Hawks are as good as they say they are. So yeah. I, I, I do think it's legit wide open, and I'm simply not in a position to make any predictions until we get at least some of the way through free agency and seeing what happens. To me, I, I still think it's got to be Brooklyn. And that Game 7 that they lost at home versus Milwaukee was was such a killer because in my mind – they win that game and they win the whole thing. And I still think that even for next year, if two of those three guys are two of the of the big three are healthy, I still think that they, they've got to be the heavy favorites. I just think the talent is 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 too strong. Uh, I don't love some of those. I, I don't love the competition out out east. Uh, um, I think that Philly is beatable. I think. You know, look, they were right there with Milwaukee with just KD and a, a hobbled, you know, shell of his former self in Harden. So to me, I think it's still Brooklyn. Um, you know, you've got the big three coming back. They've got a strong bench. So to me, I would put them as the heavy favorites next year. Yeah, and that's what, um, just looking at the, the official odds in, in Vegas, the Nets are, I guess you could call the heavy favorites at plus 250. The Lakers are plus 650 as, as next in line. And then you have the Bucks, Warriors, and Suns. So pretty much the teams we've talked about, the Warriors maybe, are, you know, a little bit of a surprise. I guess Clay Thompson should be back at full health. So that could be interesting if, if they are going head-to-head with the Lakers again. Um, you know, the Sixers are down below the Jazz at this point. We'll see what happens with them this offseason. But it's pretty wide open. I, I would not be betting the Nets to plus 250. I think there's too many unknowns with that team and with the injury situation there. I don't think that's much value um, at this stage. But um, to Adam's point, I think if, if they can stay on the court, they shouldn't be beating anyone. I will say don't count out the Suns because they're, they have Aiton. Their young talents growing. Booker still growing. And then Cam Johnson. Is Paul definitely going to stay? I think yeah. so. I I don't know about that. He I, said he's not. 
um, I think he's going to be a free agent, and I think I heard reports maybe the Lakers. <laughs> so yeah, but I, I, I feel like it's just such a better. I mean, listen, he wants to win. Go join LeBron and AD, whatever. Big deal. Then it's like you're Durant and winning with the Warriors. I think the story he can go in two years. I want him to give it one more year. He's in Phoenix. It's warm in the winter time. It's a nice place. He's... I don't think he cares. I think he wants to win. I think he's gonna go wherever he's got the best chance. And it was a great run, but I, you, I think you could argue that a lot broke the right way for them. I mean, the series versus the Clippers. First of all, um, you know that that tip in at the buzzer with with Aiton. I mean completely changed the series obviously there was no Kawhi Leonard um they didn't have to face Utah uh Denver was missing Jamal Murray so I think a lot broke the right way for them it, you know they did beat the the Lakers you give them credit but no AD um so I don't know I mean I think I think if I'm Chris Paul at this point in his career I think the only thing he cares about is getting back to the championship and I don't as great as this team was as exciting as they are I don't know that he's going to stay there. Um, I think if he's got a chance to join the Lakers and play with his buddy LeBron, I think he probably does he's that. He's from but... L.A., right? Or his family lives there or something? I well, I mean, he, play, he played with the Clippers. To... Yeah, he played yeah. play with the Clippers all those years. I know many years ago he was actually traded to the Lakers, and David Stern vetoed the trade like, at the time, yeah, and the... he was supposed to play with Kobe. Um so we'll see what happens with that. I, as we know, the NBA offseason is, off is probably the most exciting of any of the sports. There's now reports that Damian Lillard may may ask out of, of Portland. So when I'm sure there's going to be... It's looking to silly. I don't know. It? It's always July 1st. I don't know what the new date is. I, obviously, we've got, the, we've got the draft on Thursday, and then usually it's it's not too long after that. So I don't know if it's August 1st or you know early August, but um, probably just a couple weeks away. Yeah, of course, there's already preliminary talks out there, deals that are unofficial, so it's got to be coming up. August 6th at uh, 12.01 p.m. Eastern. <laughs> yes. So that's, uh, what, two weeks? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Two weeks. All right, so we'll, we'll put a bow on the NBA talk for now. I'm sure more to come in the upcoming weeks. Uh, let's dive into MLB. So... Before we get into our home team check-in and MLB trade deadline, which is this Thursday, uh, the Cleveland, or formerly known as Cleveland Indians, have a new name. They will now go by the Cleveland Guardians, which I believe among this group was not received too well. Uh, Mike Weil, as a person who's going to have to face the Guardians 17 times a year, uh, what were your thoughts on the on the new name? My most immediate thought was they went for the path of least resistance in terms of the changes to the uniform. They already had the Deans, so you replace in with Gar, and there you go. You have the Guardians, the, the text on the jerseys barely changed, and the color scheme's the same. I personally wanted Spiders because I think that it's a cool homage to the original team in Cleveland. Yep. But I, I didn't... So a lot of people are very very critical of it, but then people are like, listen, as a White Sox fan, you root for a pair of socks. Like, that's the team name. It's a pair of socks. So and you have I to share the Sox name. <laughs> right, with the Red Sox. I mean, there's, there's two teams named after Sox. I mean, if you were to ask, you know, if, if you were to have, like, Kansas City Royals, like, all these different names, you wouldn't think that 
they were that good either. So I didn't necessarily have a problem with it. I think that it's cool. The Guardians of Traffic, I guess, is what they were named for. They have the statues in Cleveland that have Guardians on them. I did think the logo with the G and the baseball was a little generic. People were commenting it kind of was like a throwback to the 90s Disney Angels logo. But overall, listen, like, uniform stays similar. By next year, two years from now, everyone will be used to it. So it was much ado about nothing to me. I, I didn't have an issue with it. I know that a, a couple of you know, you guys commented, like, this is a stupid name. But, you know, if you look at the, the broad league, there's a lot of names that you could say are on par with, with the Guardians. Yeah, I, I didn't have point. I, I don't know if you guys... Go ahead, Mike. I, I was going to say, I, I didn't have any real beef with the new name because I think the reason it's getting a lot of focus is it's, you know, it, they're the only team recently that that has named themselves something. Like, I think if you were to look at them, compared, as Mike said, compared to all the other teams out there, there's definitely much, you know, weirder, more unique names out there. So I don't think the Guardians in particular is, um, you know, particularly um, uncanny. I... I you know, could, could they have done better? Sure, I'm, I'm sure they could have. You know, picked a name that was that sounded cooler that, you know, more people would be behind. Um, I personally would have loved a nickname alluding to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, um, just given how big a fan I am of rock yeah. and roll. Um, but you know, as far as whether I'm going to, you know, lose any sleep over it, nah. It's it's it's, it's just a name. They're going to be judged more by how well they play um, as opposed to what their name is. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I would have loved spiders. I would have loved rockers. Um, I don't know if you guys looked up the where the name came from. Apparently, there's a, a statue on this bridge in Cleveland. It's like a guardian. It's got these like little wing tip things on the yeah, head. Yeah, the guardians like, little... of traffic. Yeah, it's like a bunch yeah. of shot in major. <laughs> but I think the biggest surprise to me was that apparently there is a roller derby team in Cleveland called the Cleveland Guardians, and they own. The web domain, clevelandguardians.com. They own all the social channels, Instagram, at Cleveland Guardians. So apparently whoever made the final decision on this team name uh, did not do their due diligence, and they may have to write a hefty check in order to secure all those properties. So that, to me, was like the biggest surprise. You would think that they've had years to prepare for this, that they would have done their research there, but... Um, Apparently, the, the Cleveland Guardians are are a, a real-life roller derby team out there in Cleveland. They're a hot commodity. I, I think it would have been interesting to see, uh, like, a fan vote. I think they said they got, like, 4,000 submissions or 4,000 options, and I think there were a few good options that you guys all mentioned, whether it was Rock and Roll Hall of Fame-related, the Rockers and, you know, the Spiders. or And I would have liked to see what fans preferred. I haven't seen generally what cleveland fans think of it i mean to me i i agree with you guys i my first thought was guardians of the galaxy and then also space force being named the guardians so it's kind of been a you know a popular name of late um it doesn't i don't think cleveland does, uh when i hear it i understand there's this traffic thing but i don't like is that something that people want to be associated with i i don't know i don't know if clevelanders know about these statues if that's a thing or if it's more of like <laughs> We picked the name after the fact. We Googled it, and we actually have a connection. Um, I'm most disappointed about the uniforms. I just think it's pretty lazy to basically have the same exact uniforms with a little bit of a different font. Why not change the color? Change, 
everything if you're going to go well, for a full I, I read think, But I don't know. But, but maybe they, they want, want that, that continuity, right? Like, yeah, look you at want, Washington. Yeah. Look at the Washington football team, whatever their name's going to be. They should yeah. just release the name. Yeah, I'm just in favor. Though, I think they're. I think they want to sell a little bit more merch. <laughs> yeah, go all in with it. Maybe you have a throwback, and that's kind of you know the Indians look. But for me, if you're changing the team name, I'm in favor of going. I guess a little bit more bold with it. And I personally do like the alternate or whatever we want to call the baseball logo. Maybe it's because it has a big G on it. So I personally like things that say G. Um, and yeah, you're right. It looks like uh, I know what I'm getting or... you for your birthday next year. There you go. I have a I have a John Carlos Stanton MLB Players Weekend shirt. It just has a G on the back. So, um, and, and uh, yeah, it's a little maybe generic, but I think of it as a throwback, and it's a little bit different. I, what teams are doing like fun logos like that anymore? So, um, I you know we'll see how it looks on the field, but. Um, I was a little surprised too. They released it on kind of a random Friday morning. Maybe they thought Friday news dump. Slow, slow. Right. Usually Friday is like bad news, but it kind of worked. I think it was trending like first on Twitter. People were into having discussions about it. So yeah. The more I think about it, I'm a little surprised that they didn't go the route of of the Redskins, where they just call themselves the Cleveland baseball team for a couple of years. You know, sell as many T-shirts as you can, and then you know roll it out a couple of years later. But um, to me, I, I th- when I heard Guardians, I thought right away of the XFL and the, and the New York Guardians, and I was like, eh, look, is yeah. what it is. It's Cleveland Guardians. I, I, I think it's. I honestly think that people are gonna like the name. I, I think that it's gonna grow on people. Guardians. Yeah. You could do far worse than Guardians. It has yeah. a, a context of like you're guarding the city or. <laughs> You're the keepers of the Erie River, whatever. I don't know. They're very but... guarding the payroll as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Guarding Letting last place. Superstar players walk there, in their prime. There, there was a tweet. There was a good tweet that said guarding last place in the AL Central for the next five years. But we'll see <laughs> about they're that. They're in second place right now. Yes, they are. All right. So let's uh, enough of the name talk. Let's um, let's get into. We've got the MLB trade deadline this Thursday, and you know I kind of just I mean, we've spent so much time talking about the NBA that. We haven't done a whole lot of deep baseball talk, but the fact is the four of us all have teams that are very much in the playoff race. I think you could make an argument that Ian's Yankees, of, of all the, of all of our teams, you know, maybe has the, the worst shot of getting in the playoffs. But um, Mike Weil, I think as the, um, as the leaders in the American League, we have to start with you and kind of give you the floor on your White Sox. I know they're starting to get healthy now, maybe some moves coming up at the deadline, but what are your thoughts on the their first half and and what are you hoping they might do at the deadline well first of all i'm i'm humbled that you allowed me to go first as the team with the best record it's about time in the 11 or so years that i've known all of you no more than that in the 15 years that i've known all of you it's been that long it's crazy um this is by far the golden age of White Sox baseball. I mean, we we met after the 05 championship, so it, it was kind of downhill from there. But let me just give you context. In the 99, no, it's more than that. In the, like, I think it's like 120 years of White Sox baseball. They started in 1901. They have never made the playoffs in back-to-back seasons. This is likely to be the first time in 120 years that they will have made the playoffs in back-to-back seasons. And I know that last year was kind of an anomaly. You had a shortened season. But it just shows you they committed to the rebuild finally. There were years of 
as Rick Hahn said, mired in mediocrity, and, and now the fruits are starting to pay off. And this has been happening with guys like Brian Goodwin and Billy Hamilton. And to me, the the most underrated, overlooked MVP of the team this first half, Andrew Vaughn, who had never hit above a ball before this year, never played the outfield, came up as a first baseman, has been playing left field for Eloy, and has been great. So... I'm just ecstatic. I think you get Grandal back, you get Robert back, you get Eloy back, trade for a second baseman. It can even be Escobar. I'm hoping for a guy like Pedro Scope. If I'm dreaming, I would say Trevor Story. Um, I'm super, super excited. And we just locked up Lance Lynn. So I waited and waited and waited and was tracking the rebuild and many years of just sadness and being overlooked and ignored. But finally... We still may be overlooked and slightly ignored, but at least I can enjoy this. And I've been to the games a couple times in the last month, and there's a palpable energy in the stadium, filling up the stadium. The crowd is into every pitch. Um, it's a long time coming, so let's go. Now, I have to ask you, so when the Sixers hired Doc Rivers, I know Mike was very excited about that, and now maybe he's soured a little bit. When the White Sox hired Tony Larusa. You were very critical of that, and now you see where they are. They've battled through the injuries. So has your position on him changed at all? Do you, do you credit any of it to, to his managerial style, or is it mostly just the, the players and the fill-ins getting the job done? I think it's a combination. I have to give him credit because it made me crazy that he would be playing guys like Jake Lamb and Billy Hamilton and Brian Goodwin regularly. But what you see is that all of the players are ready to go. And when you have a number of key injuries it's it's the most injuries i can remember to at least the white Sox, where you have four opening day start five opening day starters because adam eaton was dfa'd not playing for the majority of the year and to be nine up regardless of how bad the division is larusa has kept the guys fresh he's kept them ready to go and he's steered clear of in terms of controversy with guys like tim anderson who are very outspoken he's he's let them be themselves and i love that there's this kind of it, it, it's it's a dynamic where the young guys know because there are times where like what is tony doing why is he managing this way but then there's times where you have to give credit where credit's due and the roster hasn't been fully healthy so i think that a lot of it is the players but a lot of it is also La Russa's managing and, and keeping guys ready. So I was wrong. I think everyone was wrong in terms of their expectations for how he would do. But um, he's got to win in the playoffs for, for it to be a success. Now, Ian, the Yankees have had a very uh, up-and-down season for sure. I don't think anybody expects them to be where they are at this point in the season. So they're, I think, nine games out of first place, but only – three and a half back in the wild card. What are your thoughts on the first half they've had? Would you like to see them as buyers at the deadline or maybe a repeat of what they did? I think back in, was it 2013, 14, where they sold off some of their pieces such that it wasn't a complete rebuild, but they got back a few key parts where they were able to quickly retool the following season. Yeah, I think the difference in that year was their roster was a lot older and it wasn't, the expectations weren't the same as they were this year. I, I think we talked a little bit last week that the Yankees were the favorites to go to the World Series from the AL. So they may be the most disappointing team that we've seen, at least one of the teams in baseball. So 
it's been a really bad season. I mean, it's been probably the worst of my lifetime, I guess you could say, which is, you know, it's not that bad considering your guys' teams, but <laughs> over uh, 500. The amount over, of that's unbelievable. losses is more than I can ever remember. Um, so to answer your question about the trade deadline, I would not go all in to improve the team this year. I don't think uh, they're going to anyway because they want to stay under the two ten luxury tax. I think they're only about five million away from that, so they're not going to take on big contracts. Um, if they can get someone who has control over the next couple of years, this year and next, I would do it. I'm happy to trade prospects. Actually, their prospects have been having a really good season. Like I think their minor league teams have the best record of any team in baseball. So there's a lot. The prospects are in high demand. I know there's talk about Story. Why I'll mention him too. I, I don't know that he's. I mean, he's having a down year this year. I don't know that he's worth giving up all your top prospects for. Um, but they need a lot, lot of help. They need pitching in the bullpen and the starting rotation, and they need uh, some <laughs> left-handed firepower. Joey Gallo would be perfect, but these guys are going to cost so much that I would be very hesitant. That said. You know, Cashman's job might be a little bit at stake. So for him, he might want to go all in and try to improve the team and do whatever's possible to get this team into the playoffs, not just as, you know, on the last day of the season as the second wild card, but as an actual potential team to be reckoned with. But I just don't see it happening this year. The Rays and Red Sox are both really strong, and the Yankees, you know, there's just this general <laughs> sense of urgency, or almost like they're going to. They're expecting to lose, find new ways to lose. A lot of that, to me, has to do with the manager. Um, so I'm in favor of moving on from Boone, but that's another story at this point. Um, but I, I'm not expecting much. The Yankees have been pretty quiet at the trade deadline the last couple of years. Um, but it seems like it's a buyer's market, right? From everything we've been reading, a lot of teams are are going to go for it that you wouldn't necessarily think are, are would be trying to acquire assets at this point. And Mike, the the Phillies, I, I know you, you sounded pretty down on them. They're only three and a half games out there. They're an even 500 right now. To me, as a Mets fan, I think they're the team I'm most concerned about right now. I think they've got a great offense. I think the pitching, when healthy, is very strong. The Achilles Hill, which it seems like it's been the last decade, is the bullpen. And you've got a guy out there in Craig Kimbrell, who it sounds like the Cubs are going to trade. Um, you know, what would you like to see them do? And do you see them as, as buyers or, or probably not sellers, but do you see them as active buyers in this market? Uh, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I, I, as optimistic as I am about the Sixers, I'm probably pessimistic about the Phillies. And, you know, for, first off, record-wise, they, they are doing worse than the Yankees. Um, I know they're in a much different position given that the Mets um, are only seven above 500. But... Um, <laughs> I feel like I've seen this movie way too many times the past few years, right? They, they, they they're at a you know, more or less about 500, a little more than halfway through the season. They look like they're competitive. They look like they can make a run for the playoffs, and then sometime mid to late August, they collapse and um, they find themselves out of the playoff race by the time you get to mid September. So, as much as I would love to think this year is going to be different, I really haven't seen much to indicate that. Um, you know, they have hot streaks like they did leading up to the All-Star break, and then they went cold um, right when they came back again. Um, as good as their hitting often is at times, um, and, and even their starting pitching, their, their bullpen, I mean, it, it, they 
at times are incapable of making even like the the simplest saves. You give them a three-run lead with uh, a third of an inning left, and they'll find a way to blow it. I, I feel like I've, you know, too many times I've even had to text you guys. A starter will be pitching a gem. Girardi will pull him early, and the bullpen bowls and, and the bullpen blows it. Um, I think at the very least they need a new manager. Girardi's been disastrous. He's made basically wow. every wrong call. Maybe the Yankees want him back. Oh, we'd be happy to let you have I'll him. Because, <laughs> you want you know, Aaron Boone? Uh, sure. Maybe they're both better with new teams. Because <laughs> What do you think of this guy, Ranger Suarez? He seems to be stabilizing things a little bit for them. He's one guy. They, they need to have a lot more than just him. The, the, the bullpen... They can't only rely on Ranger to do everything for him, and I feel like they they have um, you know the past few weeks, but um, they're, they're going to need the other guys to step up, and I I don't know that they're capable of doing so. And despite like mounting overwhelming evidence, Girardi still always finds a reason to pull the starters early and blow the game. So he, he has long past had the amount of time to to learn from that, and the fact that he still isn't doing anything different is just very frustrating so maybe he'll be great for the Yankees he was good for the Yankees in his last stint but he's just not the guy for the team right now and I guess I'll I'll wrap up with the Mets who they're in first place they're seven games over they've they've been in first for probably close to three months now despite just being absolutely ravaged with injuries I mean it's amazing that they've been able to stay over 500 um, they're starting to get some pieces back, which is great. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty around DeGrom and you know what's going on with him. I mean, it, it's almost superhuman what he's been able to do on the field, but it also doesn't seem to make sense. It's like a guy is getting older, he's throwing harder, so you worry about his arm, you worry about his elbow. He has had Tommy John surgery already, so I know it's, it's pretty rare for guys to get it twice, although it, it has happened before. Um, to me... I, I don't think it's going to happen. The guy that makes the most sense, and I'm not a big fan of rentals, but if you're trying to win this year, uh, Max Scherzer would be a, a perfect guy. Um, he's a he's a bona fide ace who could step in right away if DeGrom uh, is hurt and has to miss the playoffs. Uh, if DeGrom is healthy, you've got the best one-two punch in baseball. Um, I don't know what it would cost to get him. I know he's... 37 he's a free agent at Would the end they have of the year a trade in division you and think? then you've got the division tax as well where you you probably have to uh, to pay a premium to to trade him within the, in the division but look if you're the nationals you just won the world series right this guy is 37 years old if you can get a big prospect back for him, I, I feel like you got to take the best him? offer for him. Who, who would... I don't know. I, and again, I, I can be a bit of a prospect hugger, so I, I don't want to see the Mets part with – look, the Mets will – I don't want to say they're probably going to make the playoffs because no lead is safe with them. I think the fact that they blew a seven-game lead in the last 17 days of the season to the Phillies back in, in 2007, I am uh, permanently scarred from that. So, um, you know, I, I need an eight-game lead in the last two weeks of the season to feel comfortable. Uh, but what I do know is the Mets are are on life support right now. They're, they've got a, a, a four-game cushion or three-and-a-half-game cushion, which is great, but they desperately need reinforcements um, at the deadline. They need another starting pitcher. Uh, they probably need, need another bullpen arm, so I do expect them to do something. But hopefully they can hang on to their top five prospects. They're very they're very, um, very strong at the top of the system, uh, don't have a lot of depth, but um, 
we'll 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 see what happens. So are we saying who we want our teams to get? Uh, what I thought you uh, you threw out a couple names, didn't you? I said, well, yeah. So I said, ideally, Trevor Story. I think bullpen help would be the bigger key, uh, but the Cubs probably won't trade us Kimbrel. I think he's the best name on the market, but maybe a guy like I I I think one of the Pirates guys, Rodriguez, could be good. Yeah. So I don't know. He's we'll okay. See. Not not impressed with Rodriguez. No. So yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see, but probably they'll they'll add a bullpen piece. Well, we'll see what happens. Trade deadline is Thursday. I'm sure we'll all be hitting uh, refresh on the Twitter app. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. But I do expect some big names to be moved. I'm sure Trevor Story is one of them. Uh, a couple other guys as well. So we'll see how that all unfolds. All right. So uh, a couple more topics here. We do have the Olympics going on right now. So I wanted to dive into that. I thought that'd be a fun topic. But uh, what has not been so fun is... The way the USA basketball team has played so far, uh, they lost two of their exhibition matches. They've lost three of the four games that they've played. Uh, granted, they haven't had the full roster. I know they just got Booker and Middleton and uh, Drew Holiday from uh, you know who were all playing in the finals. But um, you know we're all kind of used to USA basketball just going to the Olympics and dominating, and that has been far from the case so far. Um, so while, what are your thoughts on what's going on? Is it, a uh, the rest of the world catching up to the U S does the U S maybe not have the right guys on the roster? Like, what do you think is causing this? I think it's a combination. I think that they, I don't understand the roster construction. I don't understand how Trey young and, and Zion are not on that team. And there were rumblings that LeBron may come in to save the day, but, um, it's not space jam two or, you know, <laughs> 10 years ago but i think that it's also france had evan fournier and rudy gobert and on a given night in the nba when i guess you've got kevin durant jason tatum etc but who have not played together that much and these teams that i always would wonder why international teams especially at the beginning of the tournament would look like they're hanging in with the U.S. and because there was such a talent discrepancy, and a lot of these teams have played together for a long time, and when you're piecing together a roster very quickly, and COVID kind of disrupted the training schedule, it's it's not as easy as you think. And I know the U.S. was on a 25-game win streak in the Olympics, but every year is a different year, and you see these international stars. I mean, Gobert is an all-star. You have uh, Luca, who's awesome, carrying Slovenia over Argentina today. That was that was fun to see. Um, you have the the international game is in good hands, and that's one of the goals that the NBA's had for a long time uh, since the Dream Team, really. That, that you wanted to grow the game internationally, and guys paving the way like Dirk Nowitzki. Um, They've they've really I mean you could you could name a lot of guys Tony Parker in France or Ginobili in Argentina or Yao Ming in China. There's there's now trailblazers that have inspired the next generation of players and and you guys you got guys that can play. So the U.S. has by far the most talent, but I'm a little skeptical. They lost three out of four. I think the Nigeria loss was kind of a anomalous thing, but. They got to get it together and quickly, or else they're they they might be at risk of, of not even meddling. Like the, this is the the way they're playing has not been good. But me saying that will spur them to a undefeated tournament the rest of the way. So, um, 
And Evan Evan Fournier had a very uh, damning quote. He said, uh, he's talking about the U.S. team. They're better individually, but they can be beaten as a team. They can. I mean, yeah. is that that's like the worst thing you could possibly say about a basketball team. I mean, but you know, to to um. To, I know Damian Lillard had also made a comment about how uh, you know none of these guys play like this in the NBA. They they play better when they play for their country. I mean, still you look at the guys who are beating them. I mean, with Australia, it's like Joe Ingles and Patty Mills, and I mean Nigeria. Uh, you know, they don't they don't have many uh, NBA guys on that roster. I know Precious Achua, who was a who was a somewhat of a decent prospect, um, played in that game, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 pretty head-scratching. But I will say the one point, um, which I think is is kind of fair. I mean, yeah, the, these guys in the other countries are obviously playing for pride. And you you kind of wonder, though, guys like Devin Booker and Middleton and, and Drew Holiday. And granted, they weren't there for the exhibition games. But coming back from a very heated NBA Finals, do you think that there's like a little bit of an emotional letdown to come back and play in the Olympics. I mean, I, it's the I don't know if everybody views the Olympics the same, but for them, I would imagine that playing in an NBA Finals is like the top, is like the peak of your career. Is there a little bit of emotional letdown to, to just come off of a, a heated six-game series and then essentially play this quote-unquote meaningless you know game against these other countries? I don't think so. I mean, first off, it is for their country. You're on the world stage still. Everybody's watching. And listen, they could have opted out if they wanted to. They, they, they decided not to. They, and unlike some of the other guys, they would have had plenty of reasons to do so. I mean, they, they already have a shortened off season. Having a trip halfway around the world and playing a bunch of basketball, it's going to make that off season even shorter. I'm sure they're still pretty tired from having just played through the finals. So, Well, that's uh, what I'm saying. There's got to be some kind of, you know, mental letdown they take the long flight it's across um, right? right and not, you know going into it you're, that, you're right you're kind of getting thrown into a, a team of, of guys you've never played with before they've already had a couple games without you i mean it's got to be a little bit a little bit of a of a you know culture shock a little I bit right the other thing they didn't have to do anything yeah i mean right? yeah the time difference the time difference might be a factor i think also not having fans i mean they just went through nba finals with full right. houses and now they're going back to this, you know, kind of strict COVID environment that might be related. But, you know, just to your general point about USA basketball, I think it's still an embarrassment that they're losing to, to teams like France. I understand the international game's gotten better, but the U.S., you know, should be a, a, a real notch or peg, you know, above a team like France. Yeah. And they were favored to win the game by 12 points. So, it, yes, these, these teams have gotten better, but the U.S., should be you know maybe they weren't taking it seriously i don't know what the what the kind of rationale was but their their team while maybe some of the best players didn't make it they still have to me enough stars where they should be beating most if not all the other countries in the world and um yeah to wild's point maybe this will kind of you know uh make them realize they can't just show up and win like they actually have to this and try to play as a team and um, I don't know who they play next. I haven't really cl- closely followed it, but hopefully they can get some wins under their belt and regain the confidence and, um, you know, still win the gold medal. Well, it, yeah, it reminds just, me of... Oh, go ahead, Ed. I was going to say, just going back to um, the point about, you know, these players committed to it, I, I think when they committed to, to play for Team USA, 
it was like before the playoffs started, right? So I, I don't know if like Booker knew that, you know, oh, I'm going to, you know, play in the NBA finals and then, you know, go play in the Olympics. Like he probably didn't know what his deal was going to be. But yeah, I'm sorry. You, what were you going to say? I, I was going to say it reminds me a bit of the 2014. Uh, I, I remember back then there was a lot of uncertainty around the roster. Um, there, there was a lot of last minute decisions going on. A lot of the best did not show up. And um, the guys who were there, they had very little time to practice with one another, at least when it comes to the final team. Um, I, I see a lot of similarities there. I mean, a lot of these guys were, you know, guys like Booker, Holiday, Middleton. And I think a few of the other guys, too, had, had even, you know, kind of come in last minute. And other guys opted out last minute, so they didn't even know who they were going to get to practice with and didn't have a lot of time to do so. And I, I, you know, I hope that Mike is right, that we can make a comeback and um, – Make sure that we medal, but it might be too late, um, given how hard some of these other teams have trained and, and our guys really haven't practiced together that much. Um, and I, I, I just don't know that they can they can show up at the last minute to get it done, but I, I obviously hope they can. There's definitely a, a lot of superstars missing. I mean, this isn't your typical lebron kobe you know the the real big guns playing here and so i think in that regards yeah maybe there is a little bit something missing from a roster construction standpoint like you look at the the bottom of the box score you've got like darius garland keldon johnson uh, um jeremy grant like you just kind of scratching your head wondering like are these really the best guys that, that we could get um so yeah very disappointing i think it's it's um you know kind of reminds you of what was it 2004 yep. where the u.s completely flopped and then they had to uh, bring in the reinforcements for the redeemed team so we, we may be looking at a similar situation mm-hmm. four years from now but i know for me I, I you know yeah i agree with ian i think it's kind of been embarrassing to see um you know just losing so badly i mean not not even close and games you saw that one play towards the end of the game that was like going around on Twitter, right, where they all just kept jacking up threes and yeah. not yeah. <laughs> running not, in, fairness, in fairness, that's basically what the NBA has become. That's the NBA, <laughs> right? Yeah. And but they're not playing. Really if you're gonna if you're gonna play that style, you gotta have your Steph Curry's in there, right? And, you know. <laughs> and and they're not playing. If if you can't make threes, then you have to have set plays that work, and you have to have good ball movement and good team play, and and they just. Whether it's training, whether it's just guys playing iso ball, it, it hasn't been there. So um, I think that they're going to turn it around because they're talented enough where they should win this. But if they don't in the next game do it, I, I don't know how many. Was it four games in group play or how many games before the, the tournament starts? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, so so they have to win. I would say they have to win the next game if they're going to yeah, be Yeah, I think in they contention. play next Wednesday um, afternoon our time. Okay. I'm actually a little surprised that KD is playing at all. I mean, if I were the Nets, given his injury history, I mean, I would definitely not want him playing. Um, but you think, like, okay, if he's going to play, he's got to dominate. And if he's not, <laughs> if they're not winning, it's like, what is he doing there? So... Yeah, and even a guy like Randall, who, yeah, Randall, you know, he, he had an amazing year this year. He wasn't even asked, and he's better than some of this mm-hmm. team's roster. They they kind of blamed it on roster construction. It wouldn't be a fit, but I mean, I don't I, I don't know that Randall is a great. I don't know that he's a great. I fit. would. I mean, I would take him. 
I mean, he's one of he's but not on like the best U.S. players in existence, but for who's on the team, I think, I think he his would, his uh, he would help. Pl- his playoff showing certainly uh, didn't help if, if the decision was made after well, that. That's but. probably true. <laughs> yeah, I was so, hoping Harris would be there, and he's not there either. Yep. So um, on, on the theme of the Olympics, I thought this would be kind of fun. I mean, there's a, a million different sports um, in the Olympics, and I'm sure we've all had our own favorites and, and watching different um, you know, competitions. So kind of quick around the horn, your favorite Olympic sport to watch and why? So Ian, I'll start with you. Um, I guess I'll give a boring answer, which is what I'm watching right now, which is swimming. I like it. I, I like the Olympic sports where you can see who won in real time. So that means I do not prefer gymnastics where it's like this random point system and I have no idea what's going on. I can appreciate, you know, Simone Biles doing crazy moves, but actually watching the sport, I prefer swimming and, and also track. Um, just seeing, you know, athletes at, at their ultimate peak and swimming like insane speeds. I know there's been some discussion on twitter about having like the average joe um also competing at the same time so you could see actually how amazing these athletes are and and just to see too like some of these races it's been like 0.1 second difference between you know gold and not meddling or you know things like that where these guys are training four or five years and it's it's just so impressive so um those are my two i know i'm giving you many sports those are my two main ones but i also uh checked out uh, badminton and uh, table tennis. I'm not sitting there watching that for hours, but for five Hey, minutes, save some for the rest of us here. <laughs> I know. You can, you can no, it's okay. It's okay. I, none, none of those are mine, but maybe the other guys. Right. Mandel, what do you got? So, as you guys know, I'm an Olympic super fan. Um, I, I just love watching American athletes kick ass. Uh, love the fact that this year we have more women than men. and uh, I, I like a lot of what, what Ian had mentioned. I mean, our swimmers are amazing. We've already got Several medals there. Um, I love Chase Callis and uh, and Jay Litherland taking home back-to-back gold and silver for the uh, um, for the men's medley. Um, Katie Ledecky just got silver for the um, for the 400. I, I think she's going to get us a couple of golds, but got beaten by the Australian for that. Um, gymnastics. There's a lot to come there from both genders. Um, I know the men didn't do so well tonight, but the women are still up, and I have a lot of confidence there. Um, also, is you know, super impressed with um, apparently the um, U.S. has never won a gold in Taekwondo until Anastasia Zolotik, uh won it yesterday. Um, so that was great to see. But my favorite, which wasn't even on my radar coming into this, was women's water polo. I mean, you think about how difficult a sport water polo is. You have to be, you know, treading water the entire time while at the same time having to throw a ball around having to face contact and God knows how, if you're the goalie, you even attempt to make a save. And it seems like, uh, and I was watching it actually with uh, one of Diana's friends who's, who's a swim instructor. And she's like, how do you, how do you even do goalkeeping in this? And I'm, I said, well, if you're Ashley Johnson, who's the woman's goal, is the American women's goalkeeper, that's how you do it. She's the only one who can do it. They destroyed the Japanese 25 to four. It was one of the first events, I think, on Sunday. And, I mean, Ashley Johnson, she's a monster. She's 6'2", could easily rip me in half. Um, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to seeing a U.S. women's gold in water polo. Um, I was even commenting, I, I, I wish I could see more of this because I did not watch much water polo in the past, but I love it. 
And are you waking up at like 3 a.m. to watch all the Olympics? No, but I am watching basically as much as I can within reason. So, like, I watch basically all day Saturday and a lot of Sunday. And I think the U.S. Day. softball final is tomorrow morning at like 6 or 7 a.m. So, yep, and they'll re air it obviously in prime time. I I can't follow women's water polo. I mean that that is something that I'm just not going to top. But I will say so so Ian and I have similar tastes. I think I I love watching the swimming. I think swimming, track and field, and gymnastics, they're my favorite because you see both the team aspect, like in relays and and just in the gymnastics, the all around, and and you see the great individual feats. So with swimming, it, all the different strokes. I mean. It's, it's amazing to watch the best in the world. Like I, I was watching last night, the um, PD from Britain. He's has like the twenty fastest one hundred meter breaststroke times in history. Like to become the best at what you do like that is so cool to see. So to me, it's about the the individual feats and a couple of random sports. I mean, I guess swimming, track, gymnastics are easy answers, but. Um, I was watching the synchronized diving both yesterday and tonight, the the women's and men's, and it is uh, it's it's both amazing athleticism, but also just the timing and the precision and the fact that you have to be both impeccably precise with every movement that you have and in sync with your partner. It's amazing. The the two Chinese women yesterday who won were were incredible, and then Britain, which was uh, I think kind of co-favorites with chi- China was the favorite and I think Russia was was supposed to be on the medal stand but, ROC yeah the the Russian Olympic Committee um, but Britain with um, I think his name's Tom Daly or I can't remember his first name but Daly and his partner I remember them from last Olympics and they had a heartbreaking uh, loss in last Olympics and and they won tonight and they were just ecstatic the whole team was hugging and and they were crying and it was it was a beautiful thing to watch so it's moments like that where you have these athletes that train for years and years and years in these sports that you normally wouldn't watch like when am i going to watch synchronized diving other than in the olympics with all respect to the synchronized divers i don't know but but to see these guys train i was watching the triathlon yesterday night and to me the endurance you have to have for that i mean you go swimming biking running back and forth and pouring water all over yourself while you're running in the 95 degree heat the the guy that won was from norway and they said that he trained i think it was eight hours a day eight to 12 hours a day in the winter outside in norway like he was that obsessed with with winning and he wasn't the favorite but he won the gold and it's just awesome to watch i mean it's i I, mike to, to your point and i think we all like the olympics a lot it's one of my favorite things in the sports calendar. Well, we we were bound to have some overlap with uh, all the sports that were mentioned, but my favorite Olympic sport, hand down, I gotta agree with with Mike, is the water polo. And I don't know if you guys uh, remember, when I was um, broadcasting after college, I was calling all sorts of sports at MIT and a couple other schools, and they asked me to do a water polo tournament. And of course, I had never you know, call the water polo game or even seen a water polo match, but is probably the most fun I've ever had calling any sport. I mean, it's basically hockey in the water 
with a lot more scoring. And so, I mean, I had so much fun with all the different calls. And I think my opening line was like, fasten your swim caps. It's time for MIT water polo. But it was like a <laughs> tournament. So I called like, it must have been like, you know, eight or ten games or something with all How these different schools. How do you identify schools. the players? They've like, got the numbers on the swim cap. On the hat, okay. The swim yeah. cap, yeah. yeah. So it's actually it's actually pretty easy, but <laughs> the okay. hardest part was the uh, the pronunciation of the names. They had all these, like, Russian players, and, um, you know, so that was that was tricky. But, um, yeah. I got to watch I, more water polo. It's awesome. I, the one criticism I have of the broadcast is that the – announcer does not get very excited about the goal calls like it's just kind of he just kind of takes it for granted to me like you know if he scores a goal like light it up baby let it rip like let's let's hear some excitement so that that's really the only counter but as far as the sport itself i mean it's it requires an incredible amount of athleticism uh i mean just treading water the whole time only being able to use one hand i mean you can't even begin to imagine the amount of kicking and other stuff that goes on under the water that you can't see so it's really a it's an awesome sport and um i know people only watch it once every four years but um you know i know it's it's a blast to call games i'd love to i don't know somehow call another water polo match but for now we'll have to settle for watching in the olympics uh, I guess when you win 25 to 4 they eventually get tired of, of, of announcing all the goals are at the hour <laughs> Yeah, but even for the viewers, you know, it's fun to have, like, you know. I agree. Like goal, goal Absolutely. Call. I mean, maybe not every goal, but, you know, it's okay to, to dial it up, uh, you know, every so often. Yeah. Uh, so let's, uh, I, I guess we're, we're running short on time here. We'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll have a lot more football talk next week, but we'll go right into final thoughts. So, Mandel, we'll start with you. Um, yeah, I, I don't have much today. I, I just I know how much I miss these Olympics because I, I, I mean, I, I love them so much, and I always want more of them. Given that you only have them every really two years, and of course only you know per Olympics every four years, you know four years every summer, five years there are four years every winter, and and I have to wait an extra year for this, which is so difficult because I felt like it was one of the things I was most looking forward to in 2020. Um, especially given the circumstances and the fact that you know we had to go another year after I've already waited for um, that, that was hard to do so I'm just so excited that they're here um, that um, the US is so well represented um, so many different sports uh, the gender balance is great um, I'm so excited just to see us win and I think we're gonna have another great Olympics and uh, the one good thing about it being delayed is that the Winter Olympics are now right around the corner um, so I, I think we'll have uh, plenty of fun to watch in the next you know, seven to eight months and plenty to talk about. Ian? Um, give a, a, a couple of final thoughts, keep it quick. Uh, we didn't talk about soccer, women's soccer at the Olympics. They had a surprising uh, loss in the first game. Seems to be better in the second game, but... Um, you know, the U.S. team favored, but they've had a little bit of a tough road, too, similar to the men's basketball, so they'll be interesting to keep an eye on. The other comment on the Olympics, I think they started this four years ago, is the, the Gold Zone channel, which is kind of the red zone for the Olympics. I have not seen that again this year. I don't know if you guys have, but um, I'm missing that. I love the opportunity to, for them to do the switching because there's so many sports at the same time, and they would kind of, you know, cut in and out at the, at the right moment, so... Um, hope that uh, 
I don't know why that's gone, but um, I do miss it. And then my last final thought is our podcast. We are going to try to do a live stream. So I wanted to officially kind of make comment of that. So we, I know we've been talking about it for many months at this point, <laughs> a year plus, but um, for all our podcast listeners, hopefully we will give this a shot as a live broadcast for people to interact with us, uh, you know, while the show's going on. Let's get the people involved. I agree. I, I miss the, the callers from, from back in the day. You just get either random people who didn't know they were calling a radio station or actual people that wanted to call. So hopefully, because it's a podcast, uh, we get people that have listened and that want to share their thoughts with us. But I guess I'll go share my final thought with you. Nicholas Jalmerson, who was one of the seven Blackhawks players to win three Stanley Cups with the team from 2010 to 2015, retired today. Um, I loved him because he did a hilarious Ikea commercial, but more so because he was just like the guy that was the gritty defenseman. He blocked basically every shot that was, if it was overtime, and you had him on the ice, you just felt comfortable because he was going to get in front of the puck. And he was just a selfless team player, very humble, didn't release a statement, nothing. But he's a guy that should have his name in some form on in, in the rafters at the United Center. I, I hope that they do like a core banner at after this run is over with, with the seven guys, Kane, Taves, Sharp, Keith, Seabrook, Hosa, and Jalmerson that, that won three cups because all of them deserve recognition for for what they did for the Blackhawks. So, Nicholas Jalmerson, congratulations on an amazing career. And um, I'll always remember your shot blocks, but I'll also remember your 2009, I think it was, IKEA commercial, which was imperative in, in getting fans back into the Blackhawks and uh, – a harbinger of the the Swedish players to come. So, uh, congrats, and also to uh, I was going to say Elena, only only one, uh, I was going to say only his, one final thought today. His wife Elena has a fantastic Instagram. You should follow it if you do not follow it. So, just gonna just gonna put that out. There. We don't we don't give out free plugs, Mike. We need you gotta. She's gotta pay for a ad placement here. Okay, we gotta start okay. making money off this podcast. Well, once we go live, we'll. <laughs> We'll discuss. Uh, well, believe it or not, my final thought actually has a tie-in to the Chicago Blackhawks. So I don't know if you guys heard, but the NHL draft was this past week, and the New Jersey Devils took Luke Hughes with their fourth overall pick, who, of course, is the brother of Jack, who was their number one overall pick a couple of years ago. So the Devils now have the Hughes brothers, and then the Blackhawks recently traded for Seth Jones and Caleb Jones, and that's on top of who is it? The is it pronounced the the Dak brothers? Doc. Doc. Yeah, they the drafted. Doc brothers. So they drafted Kirby's little brother. Yeah. So the Blackhawks now have two sets of brothers on the same team. The Devils have a, a, a pair of brothers who are very talented. Um, you know, you saw with the the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis and his brother Thanasis, who. Unfortunately, was not able to celebrate with the team because he was in COVID. Uh, you know, but uh, I thought that was really cool to see the video of Jack celebrating with his brother Luke. Not only that he got drafted, but the fact that he got drafted to his very own New Jersey Devils team. So I thought that was really, really cool, worth highlighting. 
So that will do it for another edition of the Sports Cafe. Who knows where we'll be next week? Maybe a live stream, maybe another podcast if we can figure it out. But uh, that'll do it for another edition from Mike, Mike and Ian. My name is Adam. Peace. I'm out of here.